This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents, which you can also access at cortezcurrents.ca. Cortez Island's Christmas bird count took place on January 5, 2022, and the results have finally been tabulated. One of the key organizers, George Sirk, described his personal high point as watching the birds at Christian Gronau and Eileen Douglas's bird feeder. Well, I think for me personally, it was going to Christian and Aileen's place and watching the multitudes of birds at their feeder there. I didn't count those birds because of Christian was handing those in, but he has variety of, of birds and several that weren't seen anywhere else on the island, like house finches, for instance. He's got them cornered there. And then he has chickadees and red-breasted nuthatches, and they're, they're right outside the window. And so there I am with a cup of coffee, nice and warm. I'm watching, you know, about 12 different species of birds come and go. Fox sparrows, song sparrows, towies, juncos, on and on. They come and go feed them. They all take turns and they all have different habits. Chickadees will, will come and they'll hang off their little sunflower feeder there and and just take their little seeds away and then they go off. The nuthatch come along and they zoom in, pick up one seed and take off immediately. Like they never hang around. So birds are all characters. And then of course you've got birds like the Stellar's Jay. I didn't see it that day, but they'll come along and they'll just sit there and fill their their gullet full of of seeds and and, and make uh, people who put out bird feeders go broke because then they take those seeds with peanuts or sunflowers and they'll take them away and stash them and then they come back and get some more till they've cleaned out the place and last year we had uh, a lot of stellar's jay that's that deep deep uh, dark blue one uh, this year there were very few we only got 12 whole island two years ago was 32 five years ago there were 42 so they fluctuate they, they come out of the mountains like it was so super cold they'll come out and then they'll raid everybody's bird feeders so they're fun to watch gobble up but anyway so that was lots of fun because hot cup of coffee at, at five below and you <laughs> can't beat that so what were the numbers like this year Let's just start with the big number of what we ended up getting was 70 species. The most the, the count has ever gotten over the last 20 years is 82 species. And the least was something like 57. And when I added them all up and divided by 21, I found out that it was 70.7 birds every count time. So we actually were bang on the, the average. And and that's a lot of birds. If I went out by myself and, and uh, did the count going as many places as I could on that same day, I might get 25 or 30 species, maybe 35 if I was really lucky to pick up a few extra hawks and things. But when you have 29 participants, then you really scour the island and, and you can jump up to 70. It's the volunteers that went out and most of them braved that cold weather. Fortunately, it was very calm and overcast. There wasn't a fierce wind. So it, it made it very bearable to be out. You just had to be de dressed properly. My point of getting the, the, like 70 is a lot of bird species when you start thinking about it. And why do we have so many? And the reason is the diversity of our habitats here on Cortez. 
we're quite unique at the top end of the Salish Sea compared to other islands. We're similar to Quadra, but we're not very similar to the Redonda Islands, just to the east of us, or to Hernando or Marina Island. We're not the same as those islands. We're actually a combination of the rocky mountains that surround us here towards Coast Range, the glacial moraines that form the low-lying islands like Hernando, the southern end of Quadra, uh, Marina Island. Those are terminal moraines or, or lateral moraines from the glaciers. And Subtle Point, Starting really where we live here, right at, at the lakes, it goes, the, what, seven kilometers southward? That's all glacial till. 10,000 years ago, we were under a mile of ice. That's a lot of ice. And it ground down the mountains as it came out inland areas and formed these huge deep water channels. And the glaciers came out and then they started to melt 10,000 years ago. Now, of course, they're, they're melting even further. Kumox Glacier, which is really described as an ice cap, is really the last remnant glacier we have over on Vancouver Island. So all that ice is gone. But what we have left are lakes, like Hague Lake, Gunflint Lake, and of course the northern lakes. But Hague and Gunflint are the ones that are in the middle of the count. So you get all the birds that are in lakes. And then you have the, the birds that live in Saddle Point and, and like that lowland habitat with those particular species of trees and plants. And then what we have offshore are the shoals. Smelt Bay, the tip of Subtle Point goes out a nautical mile, reef and boulders, and it's shallow waters. And you get that habitat there. But you go south, the southern Gulf Islands, they don't have anything like that. They don't have our reefs. You go north, they don't have it either. So you've got Quadra, Marina, Cortez, Hernando, Savory, all these islands with these major shoals. Well, those shoals are full of clams. And well, other marine life. And you get huge concentration of wintering ducks coming here off these shoals. There are close to 1,100 surf scoters. That's a lot of scoters. There's probably more than that because if we took a boat out to Marina, which we used to do in years gone by, and our numbers would actually probably double as far as, as seabirds. So what I'm trying to say is that because Cortez is so diverse, we have so many species of birds and, and all kinds of ranges, but very important wintering. When I was the regional director in 25 years ago, I took it to the board and I said they had just brought in the federal government Protected Areas Act. And I said, all these reefs in our electoral areas off of here, in particular, the ones that are in, in this part of Comox Strathcona Regional District, they should all be protected. They shouldn't be exploited commercially. And, and the board approved that and passed it on to the government. And I understand that now, 25 years later, our federal government is finally putting out requests for areas to be set aside in consultation, of course, with the indigenous people of the area as well. So things do get better, which is good. And it's good for the wildlife, good for the whales, good for the marine mammals, of course, good for birds, which we love the best, don't we? Would you say there was more seabirds than land birds? 
Yeah, so two-thirds of our bird count, what was it, they, what did we get? We got 2,000 seabirds and uh, let's say roughly uh, 1,000 land birds, two-to-one ratio. See, uh, the ducks appear here in September, October, November. They come from the inland of Canada, from, even from the Arctic, because the Arctic freezes up. The lakes freeze up in the prairies. The lakes freeze up in British Columbia, the Yukon. And so all these ducks that nest way up there come here and they feed all winter long. And then when spring comes, they're nice and fat and they can return in their long migration back up north and immediately start nesting as soon as the lakes and marshes and tundra melts. The females arrive with their eggs nearly ready to lay. So they have to build all that, build the eggs inside them when they feed here. And that's why we have them here. They, they love it here. And you go off of Smelt Bay any time of any day, except when it's super windy from the Northwest, you will see hundreds of ducks there, surf scoters, white wing scoters, greater scops, buffleheads, and then you'll also see the, the fish eaters, the mergansers, loons, grebes, all these birds as well. And then way offshore, you can see the alcids. They're related to, let's say, puffin is an alcid. So the murelets, the mures, uh, rhinoceros auklets, those are all alcids. They fly through the water with their wings like penguins, but unlike penguins, they can fly too. Well, because of those deep waters that we have in particular to the north end of the island, well, though Middle Natch has water off of it that I believe is 900 feet deep, some 700, let's say, let's not exaggerate too much, seven, 800 feet deep, but you're only 100 yards offshore. Like, don't drop your binoculars, they are gone. So this deep water that surrounds Cortez. You've got the shallows, of course, from the glacial moraine, but this deep water has a lot of different kinds of marine life, a lot of different kinds of fish. And then you've got all your currents that flow through here. And we we're halfway up Vancouver Island. So your water here basically parts ways. It goes south to Victoria and it goes north around the top end of Vancouver Island. We are actually the meeting place of the waters. It's one of the old indigenous names of Middle Natch, actually. I can't pronounce it very well, but something like Mahuilela. And that means the, the meeting of the waters or calm water all around because they part here. So you got all these currents. Lots of change has happened here in the years that I've been here. Well, I've been here almost, well, I have been here 50 years. I was away for a little. We never used to have humpback whales, for instance. Now they're a regular occurrence. So maybe the demise of the salmon has provided more food for the whales. So when they came here, they went, wow, look at all this herring. This is good. And so then they stay all summer long, whereas 20 years ago, you would never see one humpback whale. Actually, that's what Whale Town is named after. You've done pieces on that. Uh, they hunted the humpbacks out and they wiped them out. They took every humpback that was in, in the what was called the Georgia Strait or the Salish Sea. They took them all. Now, what, the, what happens when you take all the, the humpbacks? Well, there's no humpback that's going to come here because all the humpbacks that are down in Mexico or Hawaii, they already have a place to go and they return to the very same places. So it needed almost 100 years to pass for the whales to recolonize the Salish Sea. Now, there's lots of them. There's one thing about the whales I've found. 
an unusual behavior that I've gone to Southeast Alaska and seen them do the bubble net feeding there. But that's another story. But they've discovered in the Salish Sea that the whales here feed in a different way than they've ever seen on the herring. They have very long pectoral fins, 12 feet long eh, on each side, and would scoop the water up in front of them with the big fins and draw the fish that are out there towards their open mouth. So it's like going to Burger King and just having about a half a dozen hamburgers and just shoveling them down your throat. So they were scooping the herring into their mouths and they had never seen that behavior. That's quite neat. And, and the more time we spent studying uh, the wildlife, the, the, the more we, we could understand them better. And that's what's great about this Christmas bird count. Cortez Island's winter bird count can be traced back to 1900 when an ornithologist named Frank M. Chapman proposed they have a Christmas bird census counting birds during the holidays, rather than hunting them. They used to go at Christmas time, and right after Christmas, they would go out and shoot birds. And they didn't necessarily even eat them. they just see how many they could shoot. And, well, maybe we shouldn't go shoot them all. We should just look at them, count them. And uh, that's the start of the Audubon Christmas bird count. Uh, one individual said, hey, let's do it differently. And now it's all over the globe, right? Christmas bird counts are done everywhere. I think... The highest one is in Peru. And what is the, is the number like 400 species or something is ridiculous in a day? All that diversity of the tropics. So any other questions you want to hear about rarities or what? Yes. You mentioned two species that have never been seen on Cortez before and a couple of species that are rarely seen on Cortez. The one that's never been recorded before was the spotted sandpiper. And it used to be here in the 70s and in early 80s, and they used to nest here. It's a small sandpiper, bobs its tail up and down, has black spots on its chest. And last year, a nest was found. Chris found that. And he said so. And I said, well, have you got a picture? Because I was skeptical. I'm a skeptical guy. If I don't see a rare bird, then I must doubt everyone else. But he sent this beautiful picture of of uh, a spotted sandpiper, and apparently it, ra it raised three young. And then now it's here in the wintertime. Only one individual, I think, was recorded, but that's significant. So it's like the recolonizing Cortez, kind of like those humpbacks. So it's nice to see a bird come back. Like we don't get tree swallows this time of year, but they returned uh, about six, seven years ago after being missing over 25 years. So birds, they find a niche. You have these wandering individuals and they go, hey, this is nice. Whale town is a nice place to live. Hey, this is good. I'll just stay here. And then another one turns up and of course you, they mate and, and then they have young. So what's that expression? Nature abhors a vacuum. There's always give and take when, when species disappear, someone else moves in or, or that species returns. So that's a cute little bird. It bobs its tail up and down. The other one was the Bohemian waxwing. And Tamaya's got that in Smelt Bay in the count period. There's three days on each side of the count. The count was January the 5th. But prior to the count, we would include birds that were seen, especially if they weren't seen on a count day, and they're marked so, uh, thusly in our sheets. So it's the count week. 
And uh, she got eight of them in, in Smelt Bay. And I, I, I put down in that report that it was the new record for Cortez. But then I, when I look back, I saw that eight years ago, someone did uh, get Bohemian wax wings. But many of us are familiar with the cedar wax. They're the handsome, very sleek, uh, tan, yellow colored birds, pointed heads. They, they love cascara. If you have cascara, you'll probably get them in August at, at your place. And pointed little head. And I mean, they're immaculate. They're a looker. And both males and females, are. you, you can't really sex them because they look the same. Exactly identical. Bohemian waxwings are a little bigger and they have undertail coverage. So that's underneath the tails. There's a little area there, a little triangular area underneath the tail. And it, it really stands out when you see them. It's kind of like the color of those books behind you there, that kind of uh, purple color. And um, they're slightly larger as well. They're a winter bird. So you can get them in the lower mainland. You can get them in the Okanagan. But they tend to stay in the interior. So they must have been driven out by the cold. That super cold we hit, well, we were going 8, 10 below, although some people say it went to 15 below here. But in the interior, just over those mountains, it was 25, 30 below. And I guess a group of those waxwings decided, well, this is not good enough. They feed on all the berries that are left around on the trees, in, like your arbutus or, well, that's for the coast. But in the interior, you've got your wild cherries and your cascara and di different birds. So they normally like to be in the interior. And so lo and behold, she got eight of them. That's a great sighting. Another bird that, that I didn't make a note of, it was the Virginia rail and Andy Ellingson got that. He heard it in front of his place. Unmistakable kind of call, right? Someone's laughing wickedly in the swamp. He heard it in front of his place. Unmistakable kind of call. And so they're a marsh bird and usually they migrate away. Not always though. And their population has been fluctuating. It's actually been dropping in the last five years. But he, he heard it across from on the lake there, Gunflint Lake at the marsh edge. So that's a great bird to get in the wintertime. So only one of those. we got 13 Anna's hummingbirds. That's a great number of hummingbirds. They, they first came to Cortez. I got my first one in 83. And that was, wow, Anna's hummingbird. So I got a feeder and put it up immediately. Uh, and then now lots of people have hummingbird feeders. And so here you have this species that normally lives in California and Oregon. And it colonized, moved northward, uh, starting in the ooh, early 70s, I guess, the first records in Victoria, something like that. And then they just moved up as people put out hummingbird feeders. And, and of course, when it's really cold, you have to really be careful because you can't let it freeze. You have to bring the hummingbird feeder in or people have elaborate ways of heating the hummingbird feeders. So if you're going to do a hummingbird feeder, be prepared to take care of that feeder and bring it in at night and then put it out first thing in the morning before light. And uh, so now because of the advent of hummingbird feeders, we got 13, I think, I don't know what the highest number in the past is. The, the most common land bird is the junco. It's that little black headed brown bird, like a sparrow, it is a, a finch. And when it flies, it has those white tail flashes. And it's quite noticeable that way. And little pink bill, and they love bird feeders. 
I I usually uh, I don't have a, a seed feeder up here because I had uh, two cats. I'm not going to feed the cats birds. But our cats now are 13 years old and they, they like the fireplace. They like that more than being outside hunting birds. And because it got so cold this year, I decided to put out seeds and, and I got the juncos, fox sparrows, song sparrows, towies. Even I had uh, two golden crown sparrows. That was another unusual bird. I, I, I When I got it, I couldn't put it on the count, I don't think. But it was recorded over uh, at Manson's lagoon area, a good bird. Juncos, we got 188. The average is uh, 250. So it's down a little bit from um, years past. But uh, that could be because they've perished because of the cold or they're more concentrated around the feeders and lots of people don't submit their feeder counts for whatever reason they have and so the juncos are harder to find in the wild in the bush the bush is covered in snow very cold and so they're concentrating on feeders that's why the feeder counts are so important i only have two song sparrows and five juncos well like i said 29 people participants volunteered at this count that's a lot of people going out and and, and supplying the information you also got uh, greater yellow legs yeah that's a fun bird chris got that in whale town he's he's got the the sandpiper heaven there yeah the greater yellow legs it's as tall as an oyster catcher but slim gray bird and it has quite a long bill but much slimmer than an oyster catcher and of course it's black, not red, like the oyster catcher. A good friend of mine, Barry Edwards, called the oyster catcher the crow with a candy cane for a bill. But the greater yellow legs has great, big, long, stilt-like, bright yellow legs. So it's, it's, it's not one of these, oh, that's a really hard bird to identify. It's actually pretty straightforward if you can get a good look at it. And, and it has a white rump when it flies. And that was in, in, in Whale Town. You get more of them overwintering accounts down in Victoria and Vancouver. So to get one here, that was really good. It's been seen here for the last three years. What else did we get? Oh, well, we got quite a few woodpeckers. Hey, eh? we got the downy, the hairy, uh, the sapsucker, the flicker, and the pileated. And it kind of makes sense. Look at all those trees out there. So, and each one of those birds would preferential habitat. Pileated will go after those big trees that are all rotten and they can smash away and get at the grubs in there. The little downy woodpeckers can hang upside down on those narrow little limbs of the tips of the alders have got insects inside them and grubs in there. And so because they can climb around, they're little black and white. They're, they're really quite small, the size of a sparrow, really, but of course, very short. The hairy is like the downy. I love those two names, downy, hairy, it, but it's larger. And it goes, kick. Hope that wasn't too loud. And then the downy goes, kick. So it's kind of neat that way. It's more almost robin-sized in body, not the tail, of course, but in body. Most people are familiar with the flickers and they have those red wings when they fly and the white rump. And then, of course, we got nine red-breasted sapsuckers. And I know I, I added one of those two here. Last year, only two. Previous year, one. And then the previous two years. And then before that, 29. Once again, fluctuations of birds. And that's what, once again, these, these counts are so good because it shows us. It's, it's, it's like a giant sine wave, uh, what happens to birds. Some years, 
what happened to the so-and-so, the uh, black furry gray warblers, where are they? And then they return the following couple of years and they come back up in good numbers. Lots of variables. The summer birds here have a terrific migration. Most of them go Mexico, Central America, South America. And then you got barn swallows go to, you know, bloody Patagonia. It's one of the longest migrations of any of the land birds. There's a lot of perils in the way. And they found out is like, let's say our Western tanager, which people are very familiar with, a red head, bright yellow body, black on the wings, very spectacular. They're the ones that would call in the middle of the day. And they sound like a robin when they sing. Well, those Western tanagers, they found they go to the same trees in Costa Rica year after year the same five acres of trees. And then they come back to here to your backyard. The ones that are nesting at your place return to your place. That's why we have to be very careful as when we change the habitats that we realize that, wait a minute, we can't you know, change it too much because the birds are expecting for your habitat to stay there. And conversely, in in the, in the tropics, that's why the removal of those rainforests, I think that's one of the biggest atrocities that's happening now is what's happening in the Amazon. I've heard they dropped more trees last year than the previous years. It's not going the right way there. So that means those birds that are going down there, they go, what happened to my jungle? So here on Cortez, we artificially feed the birds in, in industrial scale. Look at the Gorge Harbor. They grow mussels there. Well, surf scoters love mussels. Oh my goodness, snack attack. And they go to the big farms. I was talking to a diver about this and he says they take turns going in and out. So they'll dive down and they'll go in through the hole in the net and the ones that are inside will come out. And then Next one goes in, next one comes out, <laughs> taking turns, going in and out, because they know, well, they're holding their breath, and they have to let that, that fella out of there, and then they can get in there, and then they, and they eat the, the muscles whole, and they crush them. The, apparently, it's up to $50,000 worth of muscles are eaten, so they have to keep the nets tight. As well, the people grow the salmon farms and have rafts, let's say for oysters. And they have those long chains or long rope leading to underwater anchors. Well, those ropes get covered in mussels and it weighs them down. So it pulls the floats down if you get too many mussels hanging out. Well, the surf scorers come along and they glean all the mussels off. So the farmers are so happy that the mussels are, get, are getting taken away by these surf scorers. And here's a great anecdote. I can't prove it, but apparently when the mussel farmers are taking the mussels away or going to the other islands, the scoters follow them. They go to other islands and, and they'll feed off things that, that fall off when they're harvesting. They're opportunistic. Birds are smart, eh? I mean, that's, that's maybe been around a long time. They're, they're the dinosaurs that survived. You've been listening to George Souk describe this year's winter bird count. I want to thank the museum 
It just it takes a lot of organization. 29 wild bird watchers out there, all wondering which area to go to because we've subdivided the island off. You have the east coast of Subtle Point. I had that. I did that by myself. Christian and Aileen, of course, they did their local area. And, and so you had Whale Town done by another group, the west side of Subtle Point, Low Borhart in Squirrel Cove. And so all these different groups. And it takes a lot of organization, drawing up little maps and emails back and forth. And then when the birds all come in, I mean, it's just a flood date to open up of all this data. And, and Gina at the museum was the incredible scribe who collected all the data and you know, assembled it, and tabulated it, put it all on the list. And then anything that was unusual, I met with her and... and uh, like those, these rare birds, uh, we need rare bird reports, photographs or a, a description. And the people sent them all in. So then we had to go over the rare bird report and say, yeah, that's great. That's enough information there to convince Audubon, in a sense, Canadian Audubon, that we didn't did see that bird because we have a paper copy of it. So I want to really thank the museum and Gina in particular for all the work of organizing. I was just out there bird watching, drinking hot coffee and laughing.